0: welcome to the monday main point this is uh monday october the 19th 2020 i'm joined here uh with pastors jeremiah blake and jeff good monday morning main... yeah good, good, morning. good morning to everybody uh, monday main point is brought to you of course by rosa sharon baptist church those of you who might be tuning in who are not affiliated with our church and uh, it's just our opportunity to get together as pastors and just share some uh historical perspectives spiritual insights things we couldn't get Things we couldn't quite get into the to the message uh, on Sunday sermon, and this past Sunday sermon, fellas, was all from the book of Amos. As we're continuing our uh, echoes from exile sermon series, prophetic words for troublesome times, and uh, I had the privilege of uh, drawing the lot for Amos. And so, Amos is an interesting book. There's not a lot of outline I can give you for Amos, other than just to say that Amos was a uh, Amos is prof, uh, doing his uh, prophesying around the same time as Jonah was, as we talked about in, in episode one. And he is in the northern kingdom of Israel speaking to Jerobo- King Jeroboam, who is a very successful military conquering king who's expanding the borders of the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel there is very is living a very opulent, luxurious lifestyle. Amos is not from Judah or from uh Northern Kingdom of Israel. He's actually from just south of Judah, just south of Jerusalem. There in Tekoa, I don't think maybe Tekoa is in Judah. Yeah, it's in Judah. Okay, so Tekoa is in Judah. I, I stand corrected, but Tekoa is is south of Jerusalem. He uh, he's a sheep herder and a sycamore, like a like a sycamore fig tree farmer. <laughs> like he's just he's an agricultural guy, and God calls him to go up to the Northern Kingdom of Israel and preach to these uh, people there that of their impending doom if they don't repent and they don't want to hear what he has to say. The book of Amos is nine chapters, mostly kind of flows, uh, chapters one and two are really all about uh, Amos' Amos's, uh, message about judgment on Israel's neighbors. And as, as he kind of draws the circle around Israel, as he's as he's talking about these things that's going to happen to all of the neighbors, uh, and then he drops the hammer on Israel. It's like he's he's setting a target on Israel, and he uh, the rest of the, the the book really from three to um, all the way to six or seven. Uh, let's see, it's it's six three through six. You get mostly uh, just kind of messages. Uh, very poetic messages at times, uh, prophecies against Israel. Um, And then in 7 and 8, you get the visions that he has about Israel. And then in chapter 9, you get his last vision and you also get the sort of glimpse of hope of restoration. So it's sort of a hodgepodge of messages and prophecies and poems and visions. Uh, There's not a lot of flow necessarily to Amos. And so I found myself when I was preaching this, guys, I, I, the, when I tried to start putting it together um, and I had the, the central point that God had given me and laid on my heart was that that um, this idea of being thirsty in a land of plenty. We're going to talk a lot about that, obviously. Um, but as I, I started looking at it I, and I wanted to try and start piecing it together, I couldn't find one central text that I could just camp out in and get everything that I needed to get out of. Like, I normally don't do this, but I found myself having to bounce all over the place in Amos to kind of cover everything that's there. But uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time with Amos. I wouldn't have thought I was going to enjoy it as much as I did, but it's a, it's a great book. With I think, especially when you consider—we can talk about this a little bit more in depth since I didn't talk about it a whole lot in the message yesterday— especially when you consider that Israel's chief sin, one of their chief sins, is their the way they're oppressing the poor and the needy around them. And this idea of justice and righteousness being absent from Israel, that they're not taking good care of their neighbor and they're abusing their neighbor, um, that coupled with what I brought up, which is this idea of, being thirsty in a land of plenty they seem to be a plenteous land I think there's a lot here that we can draw application to where we are right now so that's kind of where we'll start what are your thoughts what are some things that that, that sort of um, came to your mind maybe that uh, that you that you heard yesterday that you'd like to kind of uh, expound on
1: yeah so I'll, I'll kick us off because I feel like I got a, a kind of a piggyback on something you just said about the cool. uh, the justice and righteousness. So, you you spent I think it was on your second point a a uh, significant or a, a good amount of time on uh, Amos five twenty one through twenty three, mm-hmm. where God tells, uh, and he's he's speaking to Amos, but it's but it's God speaking yeah. and he's telling Israel, look, I don't I don't I don't care about your assemblies, I don't care about your tithes. Mm. I don't even care about your songs and your sacrifices and your burnt offerings and all those things. And by the way, when God when God says something like that, I don't want, or I do want, or I don't desire, or I do desire, my ear always kind of perks up because it's like, oh, God wants this. Maybe I should should be doing that. But He says, uh, I I don't delight in these sacrifices. Um, there's tons of cross references to that in the scriptures, like. Probably the most famous one is Psalm 51, uh, 16 and 17, which Jeff just preached on Psalm 51. Uh, So that was right before this, right before the sermon series, uh, two, three, two and three weeks ago. Right. Yeah. Um, So if you want to look at those, those are on our Facebook live page. But in Psalm 51, 16 through 17, it says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. Mm. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Then 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So basically, what that's saying is God doesn't really care or delight in the sacrifices. What he cares about is the heart. Yeah. Is, yeah. is a, a heart that's yielded towards him, that's obedient to him. What, I, I kind of went into that whole spill to give you one more because Proverbs says this. It says, uh, Proverbs one three says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Mm. Mm. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And so I think sometimes, just to bring this to us, like we think that God just wants us to, to do things for him, to sacrifice. Because we don't do burnt offerings and all those things. We we, we still tithe or whatever. Um, But sometimes we think, man, I've got to sacrifice my time. I've got to sacrifice my friends and my hobbies. I've got to do, do, do all these things for God. And what God really wants is for us to do righteousness and justice or, or social justice, help the poor. I just love people, but also he wants our hearts. Mm -hmm. He wants us to know Him and love Him and have a relationship Mm -hmm. with Him. That's what God desires.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you actually brought that that Amos 5, uh, 21 uh, passage up Because when I went back and re-listened to the message again, I recognized that I forgot to... I was kind of coming close to the end of the sermon, and I knew I wanted to talk about justice and righteousness. And so I read that portion that you just read, Mm -hmm. and I forgot to kind of elaborate on that. And I'm glad you just did, because that's exact. This is the kind of thing that I want that, that Monday made points good for. Because when I went back and listened to it, I was like, oh, man, I meant to actually say why I read all that. Because you're absolutely right. Well, what 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 Israel's doing at the time is they're 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 doing all the things that good religious people should that they that you would list like the checklist right, right. check right. Yeah. right all the check marks they're doing yeah. all the check marks <clears throat> but doing all the check marks is not enough you're right the heart has to be right and in fact it's more important that the heart is right than it is that the check marks are checked mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm, That's yeah. good. and 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 so um i agree something else you just said and i, I actually want to Pitch this out to everybody because I, I want to talk a little bit about this. I think probably I, I read somewhere in my research that more so than any other book of the Bible, or in the Old Testament anyway, Amos deals more with this idea of social justice and and how there's a lack of it and how that's a problem. Um, and that's a term we hear a lot in our climate right now.
2: Um, and um, but well, I, I think I think. It would be good for us today to define what biblically we believe social justice exactly. is. Exactly. And not the current cultural definition of what it, social justice is. Exactly. It's because that, people hear that phrase and they automatically close their ears or something. So I think it would be good for us today to kind of clear the air with that. Yeah. To make sure we're not talking about, you know, the the modern definition of what it means in light of the scripture we're trying to say. Yeah. That, that, I mean, the, the, a good parallel would be the Good Samaritan story. Exactly. They were the priest didn't want to get ceremonially unclean because he has to go serve my priesthood, and the Levite, you know, he didn't want to become ceremonially unclean. So they were going to church, they were going to do good, righteous things, but yet they forgot to take care of someone that was in need, that needed them right then, and forget about my my sacrifice and being unclean. I need to take care of this person, yeah. and then the you know the Samaritan who's dirty and unclean anyway had the right heart. Yeah. So I think uh, for us then, uh, not to buy into the political social justice, but as Christians, what does it mean for us to demonstrate social justice? Right. So if you want to elaborate on that, yeah. Maybe. So
0: no, you just jumped right on to what I was going to say because something you just said actually is is what oh. I want what I want to talk about. Is that I don't think that we can have an idea of social justice at least it's from a Christian perspective, apart from a love of God, a proper love of God. And I think those two things, and Jesus, I mentioned this yesterday, but Jesus inform, it tells us that, right? As he says, the two greatest commandments are to love God uh, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself.
2: Yeah, and but, the whole Samaritan thing is who's my neighbor? Who's my he's neighbor, He's trying to yeah. justify himself. Right. And he's like, those people are your neighbor.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and so I do... Well, I again, I I don't. You're right. We I don't want to have this notion that okay, well, the church is just a one more uh, arm in the community for a fight for social justice and the oppressed. Um, that we're just um, we're the same as the government entities and all these other things, and we're just considered one more arm that reaches out for, to fight this good fight. I think the church idea of social justice is different from that just overall general idea of social justice because it is specifically informed by our connection and our love for God. So and I would I would argue that it's motivated all of our social justice programming from the Christian church should be motivated by the gospel. And I think that's the I think yeah. that's a, I think that's when Honestly, fellas, when, when when I see Christians go down the wrong path on this on this particular issue it's always because they're trying to divorce those two things that, that they're pulling them apart instead of seeing them as bringing coming together that the gospel has to inform our social justice
3: yeah and I would I would probably submit that the gospel you see a beautiful picture of love for neighbor obviously with Jesus but you also see God's justice. Yeah. And at the cross you see God's wrath and his hatred for sin Because there has to be a punishment for sin Sin can't go unpunished But you also see the love for people coming together at the cross You kind of see both sides coming at that mm-hmm. And Calvary And so I think to piggyback off what you said It should be out of uh, response to that We should seek justice and walk humbly with our God Like it says in Micah to do Absolutely Or Jerry, you look like you've got something that you want to jump in on
1: that. No, I think I think y'all y'all pretty much covered it. If if I just had to succinct kind of everything we just said, I would say maybe our definition of of uh, social justice should be less informed by the culture and more informed by God, yeah, Um, Yeah. or by scripture. I mean, because like the the, Bible, the early Christians, and even
2: you know
1: uh,
2: Reformation Christians. You know, they were out, they built the hospitals, the orphanages, they took care of the poor, the needy, the lepers. They put themselves in positions where they brought babies that were abandoned. They were actually doing those things. As, as Christians, you know, in the society, society they live in, I think kind of what happened to us as Americans with the church and then the government kind of just stepping in saying, we're going to become the social justice warriors now. Mm-hmm. That um, So often then we well, the government's taking care of the poor you know, with welfare, whatever. We don't have to. And if you think about the early church, the problem that happened with the original deacons was a social justice issue. The Greek-speaking people weren't being taken care of because the Hebrews, you know, they had the, the welfare system set up through the temple. So when they became Christians, then the people that had the connections and all that spoke Hebrew were being taken care of whereas the Greek-speaking ones that were poor and maybe abandoned by their families were being left out. And so and maybe the, the language was one of the barriers, and so they they created a system to say, hey, we can take care of these people, and they appointed Greek-speaking deacons to take care of the Greek-speaking people. So they, all the money that was taken together was able to be distributed and help out all the poor and the orphan and all. So somehow or another, the church kind of stopped doing that part and then the government took over a lot of it, and they're doing a terrible job with it. Um, and so we we're, we have ourselves to blame in a lot of that. Yeah. Do Do
0: you all think that 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 there is an actual um, obligation for the local church to stand up for the oppressed? Do we have an obligation to do that as as the local church as a local church entity? Do we? Do we have an obligation to stand up for those who are oppressed, those who are uh, persecuted, those who are 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 lesser than?
2: Sure, we do. But in our minds, we think these people are in faraway countries, faraway lands, or you know, big big major cities. They're not really with us. is is our kind of way of our thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, But at the same time, a lot of Christians do, um, like a lot of the refugees have been relocated. I know Summit's got a big ministry there trying to help these people. And then the people they connect with them are Christians. And the whole idea is they're helping them in order to present the gospel. I think where the church went wrong was social justice. Things became, I'm going to do these good works and I'm feeling good about it. And in my incarnational, I'm doing these in the name of Jesus, was presenting the gospel, and they forgot to proclaim the gospel.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Or and then the other group said, "Hey, I don't want to be accused of being, you know, a liberal, giddy 2 shoe social justice person. So I'm just going to preach, you know, repent, you know, you're you're lost, but I'm not really, I'm not going out and helping." Right. So we kind of create. It's kind of like the charismatic movement. You know, people were. We, de- we made to divide because we didn't want to be accused of That's something that we took. We were letting somebody else define what it was. So I think if yeah. we go back to the original, what what God is trying to say, that helps us to say, okay, yeah, if, if there's, uh, in the city we live in, Durham, obviously there's people from all over the world here. Mm-hmm, yeah. And many of them live in our neighborhoods, and maybe at one time they weren't, but they're everywhere. I mean, we're diverse everywhere. There's no, like, segments of our uh, city where is predominantly one color or one race or one language that's correct and even the schools and everything else so now god has given us this opportunity and so do we do we curse because these what are these people doing here this is our country or do we say you know what uh our association has a, a a korean church and if i can get my know my neighbor who's korean maybe i can invite them or invite that church pastor have dinner or something where we can make a connection i think mm-hmm, that's where we're we're missing the boat on this whole thing we we we, we kind of painted ourselves up in corners yeah when god's really trying to do a great work and i think that's what happened up, up in uh, israel too i mean you know even in jesus's time they didn't get it they thought it was all about the sacrifice and the, the yeah. pretense and yeah. i mean that's what the nlt says i hate all your show and pretense about the assemblies, away with your noisy hymns of praise and all that. And then it was right after that as the you know, the the mighty flood of justice the endless it was right after that comment, you know, that, that, that verse comes in there. Yeah. So if we're not careful, we're gonna be the same way.
0: Yeah, and, 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 and keep in mind too with them, like, yeah, they're they're giving lip service to God, but they're doing that at the same time as they're worshiping all these other idols. And idol worship, you know, that becomes a that to, I think we've talked about this before. Idol worship seems to be one of the chief sins across the across the the landscape of the Old Testament. Over and over again, it's idolatry, 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 idolatry. And and we say, well, we don't do idolatry anymore. We don't have idols anymore because that's 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 our that's our Asian neighbors who who in their Asian religions have little statues and stuff, and they they burn candles to those statues and for some people that's what they think idolatry is but the fact is is I think I think we have just as much idolatry today as they did then Jay I mean JC what do you think?
1: Yeah I mean I'll uh, I'll just quote John Calvin here when he said that our hearts are idol making factories yeah. Yeah Basically what he means is that we are constantly looking for things to worship and unfortunately those things don't always those things aren't always God. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, idolatry still exists. Anything that takes the place of God or fills that void, um, you mentioned that I mean coke as compared to water in, in the sermon. Yeah, and that was Blake's illustration. And, uh, I yeah, thought it was a good illustration. So we're talking about being thirsty in the land of plenty and then you can you can satisfy that thirst with other things. Those other things are idols.
0: Yeah,
3: that, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's and the, probably
1: the best way I could yeah. define it.
3: And kind of like in that Coke illustration, like I'll be honest, my first heart's desire is to not go drink water; is to go drink a Coke Zero, a Coca Cola, Cheerwine, Cheerwine Float from cookout, <laughs> 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 something like that. But uh, I think what uh, when you said that in your sermon uh, the other day, it was. I think it hit it on the head. Like you can't continually do that, yeah. Um, because it's not going to be healthy for you.
2: I mean, if you look at our society, I mean, think about it. All this addiction, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's just it's just it's um, just the symptoms. Yeah. So we have all this addiction to drugs, alcohol, you know, sex, whatever. All right. And then you know one of the biggest problems with COVID is it attacks obese people, which you know unfortunately i'm obese mm-hmm. you know we're in our laps laps of luxury we're eating high on the hog we're doing everything we do and all around us you know all of us i mean have you ever been on a third world i'm asking blake if you have ever been on a third world mission trip yeah but, i've been so all of us have been wow. places where you know it's dirt poor yeah. nothing but yep. there's a spirit and a heart and a hunger and and people seem to be Field and everything, and they don't have anything, and we have all this stuff like you were talking about, yeah. And, yeah. and yet, our society seems to be falling apart at the edges, yeah, and because been. we put all this other stuff more important than the main thing, yeah. I mean, I know we're not meeting at church, but maybe meeting at a church was was an idol. Yeah, you know I mean, what I'm saying. No, no. So I, I mean, God I is disagree. trying to say, look, you know, I'm doing away with all this stuff right now. I really want you to get your heart right and your mind right and and your attitude right, and then then <laughs> then <laughs> when we when we come back, maybe we'll have something to say because yeah. we don't have anything to say right now. Yeah, to tell you the truth, we're just we're just like a. a I mean, the, the American church, especially, is political pond.s mm-hmm. You know, the liberal church, black church, is a political pawn for the Democrats, for the most part, mm-hmm. and the white evangelical church and Catholic church is a political pawn for the most part for the Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Republicans, if you, you know, if you believe all the stats and demographics and all that, which they pretty much are a mirror that's holding up. Yeah. So until the church gets to the point where, and then we got the church that's the true church. You know, like we would consider ourselves a true Bible-believing church. Mm-hmm. And then you got the church where, like, if we're going to get to the hunger, the famine, um, you know, there's churches where the Bible's never opened. There's churches where, if it is open, the sermon's not preached from the text. Mm-hmm. Or if you go there, it's more like a rah-rah, um, mm-hmm. you know, business, uh, motivational speech kind of thing. Or... Self-help. You go there, it's yeah. more like a political thing, right. or you go to other and, and it's so high and lofty, and people use such terms for God, and it's like, there's, you know, you know I think there is a thirst and a hunger for the, the word, because it's available, I mean, it's right here, it's everywhere, it's in, yeah, it's, it's in the palm of your hand, but how many people are actually taking advantage of of actually getting into the Word and letting the Word speak to them instead of letting everybody else speak. Yeah, I agree.
0: Blake,
3: you had
2: something else you were going to tag on.
0: Yeah. I won't drink uh, coffee next week. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. Uh,
3: But uh, in these third world countries, um, if you've ever been and if you've not, I definitely recommend going on a third world mission trip because it will definitely uh, de-Americanize your... Uh, vision on seeing things mm-hmm. and
1: it, it opens
3: up your world yeah, yeah it opens up your worldview there we go that's a better way to say that <laughs> but and especially if you have a 11 12 13 14 year old child I definitely recommend it for that but anyway if you go in these third world countries you definitely see this hunger in these third world Christians because they live they don't have the oh you can eat buffets. They don't have the entertainment. They don't have the big sports industry. They don't have, they literally have nothing, and Jesus is their everything because they have nothing mm-hmm. other than Jesus, and I remember, uh, and going and showing, like, love to these people on these mission trips, you see just a, it's like a hunger for love, Too, and when you go and show Christ's love to these people, it's wonderful.
0: Yeah, I remember the first time I ever went out of out of country. I went to uh, when I was in college, went to Belize, and I was fully expecting, you know, to be like, you know, I remember coming back, and I remember everybody from my church saying, "Oh, I bet you're so glad to be back, and and you know, I bet you really appreciate what you have now, you know what you what you've been given here in America now." And I'm like, "No, actually, I don't." What, I, what I've discovered is is that we have too much and the, the, the people there have a greater love for Jesus and for God and things of God than we do here in our church. Mm-hmm. And actually, I remember I remember being in a church service and it being nothing like what I had experienced when I was in Belize among those Christians. Those Christians were on fire. And I come home and what I thought was a church that was on fire just wasn't. And it and, and it was just real disillusioning, you know. Like you said, it's, you 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 begin to realize that maybe maybe pavement and <laughs> like things that, that we take for granted, maybe these things are actually major distractions. And we're that's why I think you're right. I think we're a lot like that northern kingdom of Israel. Jeremiah, you look like you're about to say something,
2: so I'm gonna toss to you.
1: No, I mean, I don't have anything to add there. If, if y'all don't mind, I'd like to go in another direction. Sure.
2: Let's make me one more comment. Go ahead. We well, even, even like, really, when I used to take the youth to Savannah, we'd go to the inner city, mm-hmm. and we'd give them, like, a little gift bag. And it was just, like, soap and rag and socks and toothbrush. Right. And, and like, these kids were like, oh, I have my own toothbrush now. And so a lot of our kids, mm-hmm. by the third or fourth day, finally realized, you know what, this you know, we're, we're selfish, and we've got our priorities all wrong. So that was a good way of breaking their heart. And that's what Amos was trying to get the people to do, is turn around and look and, like, break your heart. And and that's why I like with, uh, I remember with the shoeboxes, they used to be, like, promoting the shoeboxes and all the stuff. But now they get the people to tell their stories. Yeah, yeah. And so you see where, like yesterday's story, a girl just heard, had something brand new, that a smelt new, touched her heart so much that it changed her life. And that's what that social justice and all is supposed to all be about. Those sorts of things. Yeah. So I just want to throw that out there. Now.
0: No, but I, I'll say what you just said is, 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 is right. Um, and I lost my train of thought, so I'm just going to go ahead and toss back to JC. Cause <laughs> okay. well, no, I, the, there, there was something that you, that you said there that I think is really important. Um, and I, I, uh, has to do with,
2: about Amos preaching to them, and yeah, them to break their heart, yeah,
0: exactly. That's what it was. And you said maybe it's the case, or are you know, their hearts need to be broken, but the fact is, is that even after God broke their hearts, as I was gonna say, even after God broke their hearts, even after God took everything away from them, they were still ignoring Him. So it wasn't like that they had made that they got they were still ignoring him. So yeah, that's what I was trying to get at.
1: That's where I was actually headed. Oh great! Yeah. All right, so it's <laughs> <good. So> a <laughs> good segue. <Not> <laughs> I, I will say to kind of uh, to the last thing we were talking about. It's it's clear that we recognize oppression and need in the poor in other countries, but we we have a hard time seeing it here. That's true. And so we, we can all talk about like, the we helped them, we saw it, we saw the need, it was so prevalent. And I think that's why sometimes, because we have so much in the land of plenty, it's hard for us to, to, to look at another family or another demographic or whatever and think, it's so available to them. Why can't, why can't they just get just it? Just go get a job. It's so easy in America to do these things, and what we find out is it, it may not be. Yeah. And those are the ones. It's kind of easy to love love people who are already kind of helping themselves and, and kind of got it all together, so to speak, but um, it's not so easy to help those who... I mean, we, sometimes we don't see it. It's not... Yeah, I'm going to go in a different direction, but like what you said... Uh, one of my most convicting, by far, points of your sermon for me was that that um, Amos uh, 4, chapter 4, verses 6 through 11, mm-hmm. where he, he goes through all the, I did this, you ignored me. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, Jeremiah, why was that convicting to you? Because when you read those things, all these I dids, I dids, I dids, I heard them and I was like, if that was happening now, I wouldn't attribute that to God. Mm -hmm. I would just say it was circumstantial or because it's not blessing. A lot of times we think God only gives blessing because it's not blessing or positive. It's not from God. Mm -hmm. And so I would ignore it it would be a sign clear from God, God saying, I did this, I did this, I was trying to get your attention, I did all these things, I took everything you had, I I kind of wiped out the society and, and, and kind of did a reset or whatever, however you want to look at those things, I did these things, but yet you ignored me, and he was trying to get our attention, and so I, just for me, I was like, man, if if he's trying to get my attention now, I might be doing the same thing, like, Oh that's not that's not from God that's just circumstance. Or that's not and we try to explain things away and I really like what you said about retributive justice and those types of things. So um I'll just I'll pitch that for now and then I think I have a, another well, I have a quote that I kind of want to share later but Yeah. I yeah, I mean I'll when, when
2: he was reading that one part about you know I sent this to you I sent fires I sent Floods. I sent, you know, no rain. I rained in one area, not another area. And you're like, you look at 2020, and you go, everything that we've, I mean, everything we've been through, it's like ridiculous, really. The pandemic. Then we had that big dust storm from the Sahara Desert that made it to America. We got California burning down. We've got all these riots and upheaval. We've had (laughs) hur, we have had earthquakes even in Mount Airy, you know, places like that. I mean, so. Typically, you know, the sensationalist person would be preaching and, you know, this is God's judgment on America. But who's to say it's not, you yeah. know, because that's clearly God's saying I'm judging the collective sins, you know, of the people. And because of that, you know, everybody around you. The Syrians are coming and getting them. They're getting the, the the weaker nations first, but they're coming after you, strong as you are, and you're going to make alliances with all these foreign governments, Egypt and places like that, and even Assyria. Like, okay, we won't destroy you. Just pay us some money, and then boom, they they take over everything. Yeah. Mm. So I mean, I think in America, you know, a lot of times we're so arrogant and prideful that we wouldn't we wouldn't think that that anything could ever happen to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, it could. And that's why it's important for us to be kingdom citizens first and keep our focus on, I'm a Christian mm-hmm. who happens to live in America. Um, and and if, if we can see these things, you know, I know people don't like to say, well, God's judging America because I think uh, Pat Robertson or somebody said God was judging Haiti that time. The earthquake came. So it's, it's, it's not real cool to say God's judging us, but he may be. But we as Christians are the ones that have to see that we can't tell the world, "Hey, you're being judged." We have to say, "Hey, for us, we're going to take this as judgment as a way of getting our hearts right to try to impact the world." Yeah,
0: I think the, I think I think what I said was, I I can't say for certain whether anything is retributive justice when it comes mm-hmm. to these kind of events. So there's no way for me to know whether God's judging the world right now through COVID or not. He might be. He might not be. I'm not God. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But what I do know is that every one of these tragedies, every one of these 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 things that happen are at least opportunities for us to turn our ears to a God who might be trying to say something to us no. and, and that's yeah. that's the point that I was trying to make mm-hmm. is that let's let's get away from whether he's judging or not mm-hmm. let's let's just take this as an opportunity to try and listen to what what he might be trying to say to us. Mm-hmm. Whether that's judgment or, or, or whether that's something else, but I mean, it's at least an opportunity for us to drop all the stuff that doesn't matter and really focus mm-hmm. on what does matter, mm-hmm. and and that's that's sort of at the heartbeat of what I, what what the message that God it laid on my heart for, the, for for this particular thing. Yeah. Well, we're we're really close to the end here, fellas. We're at thirty four minutes. So he's got a quote. Yeah, I, I you guys both have some quotes and things that you want to share. So uh, final I'm thoughts. Sorry. We'll just do some final thoughts around the table real quick. Jeremiah, go ahead and kick us off.
1: Oh uh, yeah, since I said that, um, <clears throat> that was probably the most convicting thing. I, 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 that's kind of where I started for like research and trying to apply it to my life. Um, I, I, when he says that I did, you ignore all mm. of Amos 4, 6 to 11. So I remembered a quote, and then I looked it up. It was actually a tweet, believe it or not. This is how this is how things. Uh, happened in 2020 it's not from a book but uh it 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 was a tweet and went viral it was from john piper and he said this god is always doing ten thousand things in your life and you may be aware of three of them basically what he's saying is god is doing so much he's upholding the universe by the word of his power and just so many things and we're aware of about three of them and then later he goes on to say not only may you see a tiny fraction of what God is doing in your life, the part you do see may 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 make no sense to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was just a tweet from John Piper. I, I found it comforting to know that that God is working, and even though I'm not always aware, I, I like to look for those things. Mm-hmm. And I'm a person who's quick to say that wasn't God. Maybe I shouldn't be, um, but but I'm also a person who's quick to run to God for help and for. The, the, his word for yeah. for guidance and uh, trying to be attuned to to what he's saying as opposed to what the culture is saying is happening or what this preacher or seer not to not to oppress the prophets like uh, <laughs> Israel because that was another great quote Amos two twelve God says oh, man actually probably my favorite quote from your sermon was. Uh, he said, I sent prophets to you, and you told them to shut up. Right. You <laughs> told, you told them. I, I sent the seer to you, and you told them to shut up. So not to oppress the, the prophets or the or the word of God. Obviously, the word is more important than people's words. But, uh, yeah, so that, that's where I landed with the sermon, really good sermon. Thanks.
3: Yeah, one thing that I really took away from the sermon is when you asked us, uh, what are we thirsty for? Mm. Um, and I think that's a great question that we all have to, ask ourselves and we better be ready for the response that the holy spirit gives us um, but i think it's good to know that it is grace when god reveals to us that we are thirsting after things that we shouldn't be thirsting over yeah and so it was a i really appreciated your question there on what are we thirsty for it's definitely made me think
2: yeah and um, you know the classic definition of evangelism is one beggar showing another beggar where they can get bread kind mm. of thing and I thought about uh, Amos you know 714 when they were telling him you know to go back to Judah <laughs> go back to your job prophesying there make money down there and he goes and he goes I'm not a professional prophet and I'm reading from the NLT, You're right 14 714 I was never trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd, and I take care of sycamore fig trees. So he was just an everyday person, yeah. a shepherd, uh, a person that had like a little vineyard. That was his business that God put on his heart to go and warn these people. And they rejected him, but they rejected God's word. And so I think for us then to know that for the church, once we get out of this COVID situation, when we're going to need everyday people That's right. that will talk to their neighbors and friends and share Christ with them not lean on the professional crowd that's been trained to be prophets like us all the time and I think a lot of the church made a mistake in that direction too where they left the basic everyday church person left um, the prophetic to the preachers instead of them being that prophetic witness out into the world we live in Um, so that would be the last thing I would want to say about it
0: well, I'm, the last thing I'm going to say here is actually a, a text I received from uh, one of our members right after, afterwards. And um, um, it was Terry. And Terry uh, those of you who know Terry, he's a great guy. Uh, Terry had said that um, the, the sermon made him think of this verse from 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, and I think it's really kind of sums up a lot. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And I think that's so true. I think um, and it's it's a sad state where we have so much access to the gospel, um, and now even more so because of coronavirus. I mean, you've got Facebook feeds and podcasts and... Uh, you know, we're, we're time yeah, time that you didn't have before. Exactly. Um, and unfettered access to God's word. And yet the God of this age that manifests itself in politics and division and also entertainments and all these things has so blinded people that they're missing this glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is what they really, really need. Mm. And, um, may we all be like Amos and try to wake people up to that fact. All right. Well, I wraps up Monday main point for today. Next, next Sunday, uh, we are continuing exos, ex- echoes from exile. And, uh, Jeff is going to take us down the path of Hosea. He's our last of the pre-exilic, um, prophets. And, uh, I think you've got the longest of the <laughs> modern prophets you have to preach from. Was there 14 chapters in Hosea? All right. Yep. All right. So make sure and take a look at that. And we'll <laughs> join you here next week uh, here from Monday Main Point. Thanks for joining. So